RadioInfluence.com. This is the Valor Hour on Radio Influence. Your weekly glimpse inside all things Valor Fights and a look at what's going on in the rest of the MMA community. Now, here's your host, Tim Loy. Welcome to another edition of the Valor Hour. It's episode number 202, and uh, we are getting ready to go into the home stretch of this big summer season. Uh, we got two big shows in May, two big shows in, uh, I'm sorry, one, one show in June, then two shows in July. So lots to cover. Uh, I'm your host, Tim Loy, of course, and joined by my co host, Justin Watson, and the usual cast of characters. We got Jeff Hobbs, we got Greg Hopkins, we got Torres Finney in the house. And it's eight rounds tonight, guys. We've got a couple guests that will occupy a couple of those rounds. A little bit later, we're going to talk to Elijah Gilbertson ahead of his fight at Valor 81. That's coming up next weekend, uh, May 7th. from the world-famous Cotton Eye Joe. And then uh, the very next week, we have got uh, Valor 82 as we return to Chattanooga. Uh, our own Greg Hopkins on the line here. Of course, we'll talk some about that. And then we'll be joined by his opponent, Nick Martino, who's going to be challenging for uh, that strap in the main event. So we'll get to all that a little bit later. But for now, we'll get on into round number one. And that is going to be a, a rehash of this past weekend's UFC pay-per-view. UFC 261, three big title fights, three big knockouts. Man, I don't know that I can recall another pay-per-view or another event period where we had three knockouts in three title fights there to end the show. Uh, overall, it uh, seems like the show did well, and we're going to send it around for a recap and re- uh, recap and reaction from each of our uh, our panelists here. What stood out to you? Who shocked you? Uh, you know, uh, overall your overall takeaways from UFC 261. We'll uh, lead off with Torres. Have at it, bro. Yeah, man. I mean, overall, I was really excited to see UFC 261. I mean, you talk about a card. I mean, I had a lot of friends who uh, uh, watched it for one of the first times, uh, some fights. And uh, when they saw that card, it's like, man, I'm watching every weekend now. And I was like, yeah, you should have been. And uh, I mean, overall, uh, the show was phenomenal from the from the uh, from the early prelims. I mean, the first fight, you see how those two women came out like swinging and banging. I truly believe the crowd can really affect how certain how certain fighters uh, perform. Um, the biggest standout to me, I think, without a doubt, to me is Usman, and I truly do believe he should be the number one pound for pound fighter um, in the world currently. Um, John Jones just been a little bit inactive, and right now I think Kamar Usman is one of the best uh, right now. Uh, he just proved it. I mean, knocking out Usman, who hasn't been completely knocked out in fifty fights, and another shocker for me was Rose Nama Yunus. I was not expecting her to do that to Wayne. Uh, uh, Wei Li, and uh, man, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal call all the way around. Some gruesome injuries, uh, man. Those calf kicks, those those low kicks, man. I know on both sides for Jimmy Crew and uh, Chris Wideman, and prayers to him as well. He had great surgery, but overall, man, phenomenal card. All right, Greg. Yeah, Hoosman, uh, uh, like you were mentioning, Torres, I think that the uh, the crowd does play a big role right there. And, you know, not always being in your hometown is the biggest advantage that you can have. And, you know, Mossball was right there, you know, in his own backyard with everybody there. I mean, you know, that's nerve-wracking when he really does come down to it. Um, I know that Zhang was uh, a little upset afterwards for, you know, being booed coming in by the crowd. But, I mean, you know, you're fighting Rose, he's expected – um, but, uh, you know, I mean, Tim mentioned, you know, the last, you know, three title fights, you know, we had finishes and that's how it went down, but really, 
I think uh, so Uriah Hall and Chris Wilder nailed the finish. Anthony Smith's crew was a finish. Uh, Brown and Oliver, the whole main card was a finish, wasn't it? Dwight Grant, were they on the prelims or were they? Yeah, they were the prelims. So, so Randy Brown and Oliver, I got I got that one good right there with uh, Brown getting that submission, that one arm uh, rear naked choke, pushing his head down, submission right there. And then uh, I love seeing Brandon Allen with that heel hook at the end of the. I mean, he did tap with like five seconds left, like. Man, uh, when he got that heel, that not heel hook, but uh, I think it was a straight ankle on Carl Robinson. Or either way, though, man, shout out to Brandon Allen. He's really doing well. I think the uh, biggest loser for the night is obviously Chris Weidman. I don't know if he ever fights again, in my own personal opinion. Biggest winner of the night, uh, Rose. Absolutely, no question about it. All right, let's go on to uh, Jeff Hobbs. Your take on uh, UFC 261? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, this was actually. Uh, a card that scared me because when you look at cards like this on paper leading up to it, you continuously tell yourself it's either not going to happen or it's going to be a huge letdown. Uh, whenever you have a star studded main card like this, um, it's guaranteed to be a, a snoozer, a snore fest or just shit, you know? Um, but it wasn't. So, you know, my biggest takeaway from this was just that it, it delivered, uh, cause they usually don't deliver. Um, my biggest winner, though, is Shashenko. Uh, that was absolutely, you know, the the card was even over, and I'm still texting friends of mine just going, I can't wrap my head around how dominant she was against, you know, a, a world-class uh, opponent. But to go into that, to Andrade's wheelhouse, you know, uh, Valentino fought with anger, with malice, like just, fuck you, I'm – you think you're the better grappler. I'm going to go into your neighborhood and I'm going to show you how dominant I am at your craft. Uh, it, it was, it was unbelievable how she just, you know, manhandled and dominated, uh, you know, Jessica in, in that fight. It was, it was one of the single most we've talked before about just the forget the fight, the single most impressive performances by, by a fighter. And that ranks up there. Uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, Rose was a, a beautiful story, a, a great story, and it was a great win. But as far as setting themselves hands, I mean, just miles apart from an, uh, from the rest of a division, not just their division, but damn near all of women's MMA, aside from one person who she has gone the distance with, uh, Shashenko for me was the uh, the star of this show. Justin. Yeah, I'll just kind <clears> of <throat> keep going with that, man. Shevchenko, for me, was it was the same thing. I heard somebody talking about it the other day. You know, if you look at, you know, what, sh- you know, barring past Amanda Nunes' uh, next scheduled fight, if you think about, you know, would you rather keep Amanda Nunes and Shevchenko on the same path and let them fight whoever they're going to fight the next five times, or would you rather have them fight each other the best out of five? Because they're so much, for, they're so far ahead of both their divisions. You know, arguably Shevchenko won the second fight. If you fight if those two fight five times, you might have a three to two split. Um, and I feel like that would almost be more interesting than seeing either one of them fight anybody in their division because they're just so far above everybody else. Um, Chris Weidman, that was terrible, man. Uh, first strike that he threw and um, just snapped that thing in half. The the just the chances of that happening again and it being him that it happens to is crazy. Um, Jimmy Crute, tough loss for him, but he was already getting smoked in that fight, man. Anthony Smith looked great, sticking behind the jab. Um, 
you know, one of the better, better looking Anthony Smiths we've seen. He just seems to be getting better. He's 32 with 50 fights. Um, so, you know, I think the sky's still the limit for Anthony Smith. He could potentially be fighting for a title in the near future, um, coming off of a couple more wins, I think. Um, and Rose was, Rose looked phenomenal. Kamaru Usman, man, that, you know, I think I'm sold on Kamaru Usman, Kamar Usman now. It took me a while to kind of jump on the bandwagon, but to to go out there and just absolutely dominate Jorge in the striking department and then just shut his lights off with a very basic combo, like day one shit and just shut Jorge's lights off. Uh, it just speaks to, to the volume of coaching that Trevor Whitman does over there. And, you know, that was solidified with Rose's KO as well. I'll uh, round us off here is probably the only person here on the panel that actually didn't get to watch it live. I was driving home from Hydra Cup, so uh, I'm aware of what happened and have seen the highlights, but I wasn't able to actually uh, go through it there in real time. But it looked like it was, uh, like Jeff said, a card that delivered, uh, you know, if anything, not a whole lot of in cage time, if you will, over the main main card. I think you had less than a, a championships fight worth of, uh, of rounds, but. Uh, all the same, uh, just uh, exciting finishes, uh, champions uh, essentially just setting themselves apart of the division with Shevchenko. I mean, who at 125 is is next? Lauren Murphy? What? You know, that's absurd. Jo- Joanne Calderwood? Like, these are not credible challengers. These are going to be challengers. They're going to be plus 1500 or better you know these are uh it really is just uh, the, the the depiction of dominance in your division everybody thought that not everybody there was a, a group of people i think that thought that andrage was like you know maybe had the kryptonite maybe she get in there uh tight with her and and then kind of bully her around in the clinch maybe hold her against the cage no she can do any of that shit can do anything uh so yeah uh, props to shevchenko for sure uh just looking down uh just touching on some things you guys haven't already touched on more or less just so i'm not uh, beating a dead horse here uh looking down the undercard here i i think that uh it, brendan allen really needed that win uh you know that puts him i believe at four and one now in the ufc so, uh, you know, coming off of the loss uh, to Strickland last time doesn't look so bad as good as Strickland has looked. So a uh, real good win for uh, Brendan Allen and also uh, the, the Chinese contingent really, uh, really kind of laid an egg. You know, I think that they were set up with matches that were um, made for them to win. Uh, or at least be the favorite, at least, uh, you know, have a, have a good showing, uh, you know, for uh, their the Chinese contingency. And they and none of them really we're ready for prime time. I think, you know, you saw the the girl in the very first fight that uh, Nolly Yang, she's definitely game and exciting. Uh, she, I thought, had kind of the best showing, if anything, even though she lost, she kind of gassed in the second round. She still really kind of put on a nice show, at least in that first round. That'll wrap up round one. Let's move on uh, to round two, guys. And that is uh, a quick recap and reaction of the Hydra Cup. Hydra Cup went down 11 in at a Guardian MMA. We had a good time. These things are these things are really a blast, actually. Like I, I kind of like, I kind of really enjoy them almost more than anything that we're doing right now. Just while while we're there, it's so laid back, and um, you know, I'll kind of jump in here first as I've got the results. We had um, an eight-team quartet tournament with some really, really deep teams. Uh, uh, just uh, to get through this thing, you were going to have to knock off at the very minimum two. Uh, very, very, very solid teams. And so it was nice guy submission academy getting the win, getting the $2,000, getting the Hydra Cup, 
knocking off Tennessee Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy in the finals in a, uh, a really, really good match. A lot of fun, a lot of good sportsmanship, no quarrels, no bitching. I like it. Um, and, and you kind of see the evolution of the strategy each time that we do this thing. Uh, also, congrats to uh, Blake Randall from Agogi for winning the uh, $500 uh, Combat BJJ tournament as he slapped the shit out of some motherfuckers out there uh, and, and took home that check. We had a couple good tag team matches as well. Uh, looking forward to Hydra Cup number three uh, coming up. It looks like we're going to dive into the women's uh, quartets and uh, we're going to uh, have our crown our first ever tag team champions that night as well. Uh, we'll send it around in a horn in reverse this time. Uh, we'll go to Justin. You were there. Uh, you weren't there, but you're able to watch it at least on the broadcast. So uh, your take on Hydra uh, Cup. Yeah, man, I was uh, watching it while I worked, and my stream was kept kind of going in and out on my phone. I think it was bad reception, but um, what I got to see was awesome. You know, I missed being there. I was there for the first one, and um, it looked like, you know, a lot of fun, a lot of people there that we didn't see the first time around, and um, I'm looking forward to the next one, though, for sure. Yeah, Hobbs, my partner in crime. We, uh, you've been through two of these things with us now. We run these bad boys uh, on, a, on a tight schedule. I like it. We do, man. Like you said, they're just it's so laid back. It's a different atmosphere. I love our MMA Friday nights at the Joe, but there's just something about just the uh, the laid back culture of these jujitsu guys. Like you said, no one's there to bitch or complain. It's just everything's cool. Everything's smooth. Let's roll with the punches and, and let's have some fun. The crowd's there uh, encouraging their fighter, but they're not there to uh, boo anybody. Uh, so man, it's just, it's so chill. And I love it. Um, you know what I, what I've taken away here for part two, I love watching the uh, growth of, uh, or the adjustments that are made from those that are returning from Hydra cup one. So they've done it once and you saw how they kind of changed up their strategies. The sex that they learned from the first one. So it's going to be interesting. Now we've gotten a second one under our belts and those guys are already, you know, biting at the bit to return. How are they going to adjust, you know, and start using the strategy that maybe they didn't realize, um, you know, needed to come in play in, in an event like this. Uh, you know, we did notice like in the uh, Hydra Cup, a lot of uh, these teams didn't really take time uh, with the coin flip to really understand with the uh, deferring. They would win the coin flip, but then turn around and just go ahead and send their guy out. And it's like, well, wait a second, you just deferred and you've sent your guy out. So, you know, they'll, they'll learn the process. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, Dice Guy showed out uh, and, and looked great. But there were some times leading up with some of those other teams. You thought, I bet if they had a chance to do this again, right. they would have they would have rethought uh, how they sent their guys out. Uh, you know, all these guys are worthy of being on the mat, and they all did a great job. But you know, for uh, Tennessee Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Academy, you know, you've got some studs on your team, and they saved their blue belt, you know, for their last guy, uh, and and nice guy you know, perfectly pick their, uh, you know, their order. And so it, it worked out in their favor, but man, the stalls, the draws, uh, it, it's not boot in this event because you realize it's strategy and I'm excited to see ladies out here doing it. That, that's going to be fun. I hope we get enough, uh, interested. I hope the turnout so far has been good and, uh, I'm excited. It's, it's a, 
got to see any of this one? Uh, are you clued in with uh, with the results or anything? You know, with your overall take. Uh, you know, you had obviously your team was out there competing in quite a, quite a strong uh, strong fashion. Yeah, I completely was in home at the time for this whole situation and uh didn't get to come to lebanon for the for the for the fun but uh you know i did get to come to the first one and yeah shouts out to blake randall for uh you know slapping some people around and uh <clears throat> also josh Maynard and britain they uh they showed out out there and went up against some uh you know some feelings that from 10th planet correct and um that, that, uh, yeah 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 ten, the 10th planet guys stubbed in on a very like a real real short notice yeah, so shouts out to them too, man, for stepping up on real short notice because, you know, their opponents showed up to the wrong location that day. So, um, but with that being said, I did get to watch a little bit of a, of the aftermath and the pre-math right there with uh, with a gogi and uh, and uh, the people who won. What was the name again? The, 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 uh, a nice guy, the nice guy submission. Yeah, nice it was, uh, that, yeah. the Havener, the Haveners and Bobby Evans and, uh, and uh, Jesse Ray Children. Yeah, that's no small feat to beat the crew that they did at Agogi. I'm not. That's no small feat. So shouts out to them too, man. I'm, I love their picture too, leading up to it. It was awesome, and uh, I probably likely will not miss the next one. I didn't want to miss this one, but I probably likely won't miss. It. I may even venture to say I might want to compete in the next one because it's becoming bigger and bigger each time, and uh, I think that uh, I think it's I think it'll be fun to do. So um, I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Hey, let's not. I don't want to, you know, come back on a seal, but let's not also forget that small little preview we got. Oh yeah, of Chance Gilbride and Emilio Hernandez on the mat together. That's how we started the entire day yeah. was with that matchup. Who would have thought that, man? For real, that was crazy. Like I, I, I was like, I was torn because I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to see it yet. You know, I, this is so early, but then at the same time, it's like, oh, like what a way to kick off. Like who would have the random, the randomness of it all led to that being the very, very first two guys to step on the mat. That was that was really crazy, and uh, we saw Emilio get the tap there late in that first period. Uh, so does he have a little one up midship going in uh, to this fight with Chance? We'll see. Given you know. That keep in mind, this wasn't a fight. You know, there were some moments where Chance was on top. Had he been able to punch, to be able to hit, that maybe would have changed things. It's hard to say, but I think they both got a little taste of each other there, which is very interesting leading up. Torres, wrap up round number two. You were out there on the mat. You were on Team Agogi. You uh, stalled out uh, the juggernaut, uh, Big Jerry, uh, Jerry Baker. Uh, and uh, we're talking a little talk with their uh, with their team on the other side of the mat towards the end of it. Your uh, Your experience overall here. I mean, man, overall, I mean, I ain't gonna lie. The Hydra Cup is a phenomenal thing y'all have come up with. Uh, overall, I, I really enjoy it. I really do. Um, but, yeah, you know, being on Team Agogi, I mean, we did get a tough draw. I mean, we got a, uh, a draw as a team that was in the finals. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I had – we, we me, Sterling, and uh, Grayson, you know, we all stalled out against our guys. But, uh, like you were saying, that Emilio and Chance matchup, it was fun to watch. Uh, I've watched it back, like, two or three times already because uh, – <laughs> that, that was some really good rolling, and it's going to be really exciting. I mean, Emilio tapped him out with a heel hook, you know, and he did one-up chance, but you ain't going to lie, you know, he was not allowed in amateur fighting, so we'll see how things change a little bit. It's exciting to see when you see those opportunities between guys. Um, another one I was thinking of was Andrew Sturdivant versus um, – um, who's the one for uh, McGee, Brandon McGee, Brandon McGee, yeah. Brandon McGee. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was a fun matchup to watch, uh, combat jujitsu. So, you know, you see a lot of these matchups that you sometimes you might get as a future fight. Sometimes you see, uh, you would like to see as a dream fight, you know, in a jujitsu matchup and it's fun to watch. 
And guys, uh, overall, Joe, I mean, Joe Kai. What about that dude? Joe Kai. What about that dude? Yes. Oh my gosh! Took out a whole team himself. He did Man, in less than a awesome. minute. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that was awesome. Like when you get those type of guys like coming in and showing off, because a lot of GM have a lot of guys that there aren't. They will not fight MMA. Some of these guys will not fight MMA, but I assure you, they have some gritty and toughness, and they will do jujitsu. Everybody can't get punched in the face, but everybody can roll. So that's but how. Seeing. But how the rule set is, how the rule set is, where everyone was so excited, Joe Kai just ran through a whole team, but then he couldn't go until very last on the next round. And it bit so him. The, yeah. yeah, so it bit him. So, you know, the strategies, and, and it's crazy how, how these different things can happen in these events. That is true. You think about that. That is true. All right. Hydra Cup overall a success. We'll keep you guys posted on event number three coming in. I also got to give a shout out to the Boyd Brothers because these guys have come to both Hydra Cups and competed in every division that has been offered at both Hydra Cups, whether it be tag team, combat BJJ, or quartet. They've come and done it all. And it seems like tag team may be where they've settled into their niche. So the only they're 2-0. Uh, they've figured this shit out to a degree. Slow-Mo and, and Antonio Holt are uh, are coming in hot for those tag team titles. So shout out to those guys because, you know, Slow-Mo, I mean, he gets out there it, above his head, honestly, in, in many of these situations. But he don't give a shit, man. He's going out there and he's getting experience against really tough guys. And it's only going to make him better. So uh, shout out to Slow-Mo. Yeah, I was going to say that as well. Those Boyd brothers, man, they are the most active family i have ever seen like competing like they are at everything yeah <laughs> and it's awesome man it's awesome i love it all right getting into round number three here as uh, we've got elijah gilberson elijah the enigma gilberson uh that's uh so dubbed by uh jeff hobbs joining us here for the first time elijah how's it going i'm doing good doing good Tim. how are you doing I'm doing well, buddy. I'm excited for this uh, these next couple weeks, man. Uh, you're back in action. We're uh, we're going to talk today about your fight coming up for Valor 81, and that is next Friday night for the world famous Cotton Eye Joe, where you've done all your scrapping in your career thus far. You're going to be taking on Bradley Brakefield from the Goon Squad, a guy that we've seen uh, several times here on Valor. So. Uh, uh, you know, I'm excited to see this fight. Before we get into that, though, with this being your first time on the show, now we've talked about you many times with our picks panel and stuff. So, listeners, uh, I'm sure are familiar with you, but I'm gonna let you uh, tell it from from your own uh, perspective. You know, a little bit of your background, how you got into MMA, how you got into fighting, and uh, just uh, more or less a little little uh, backstory setup, if you will. It's a little loud. Oh, yeah. It's a little loud wherever you are. I don't know if you got a window down or something like that. No, I don't have a window down. My car is okay. a little. Uh, a little on the louder side. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Right on. Uh, yeah. Well, where to begin, I guess. Uh, growing up, I was always obviously picked on. I was the, the dorky, emo, skinny kid. Uh, didn't really fit in. I was kind of weird. In and out of therapy. Uh, had some anger problems. Of course, you know, I had a lot of fighters think that's what it takes to be a fighter, and then they're wrong. Uh, I went into a couple street fights uh, in my teenage years just trying to, I don't know, let out some steam. And I went on, won a couple of those street fights, obviously, with some, some complete bums. And I thought I had what it took to, you know, be a cage fighter. I thought it was some Billy Badass. And I went in there, signed up for a fight, my very first dollar fight. And it was a brutal, rude awakening right there. Like, these guys aren't just some schlubs just off the street. There's some, uh, some trained athletes that are ready to go 
the distance with you. Um, that was a different, a totally different experience. Uh, and my first three fights, I wasn't really with the gym at all. I didn't train anywhere. I just was, you know, punching a bag in my garage, thinking that was enough to get me by. Uh, obviously, it wasn't at all. Uh, really, I took these fights as uh, training, really. Um, and the more fights I was going in there, just trying to train, because I didn't have anywhere to go. Uh, and I took some, some pretty brutal beatings. <laughs> I knocked out Tanner Bow. Uh, my third fight, after losing my first Muay Thai match and two MMA matches, but my third MMA fight, I told my wife, I'm like, I don't know if I want to you know, keep doing this or not. This will be, this fight determines whether I stay with it or, or give up. Uh, and I fought Dan Bailey uh, on a pretty short notice. He's uh, from KMAA. I've not trained with him. He, uh, yeah, he put the beating on me pretty good. <laughs> he broke my rib, and my whole face was swelled up, and I was shut for about a month or so. And despite all that miserable, miserable pain, I looked at my wife I'm like, I don't, something about it really just spoke to me. Like, I really enjoy doing this sport despite getting my butt whooped. Uh, so at that point, I knew I need to I need to take this seriously and stop just goofing around with it. So uh, I joined TNA and I trained with Dan. We're pretty good buddies. Um, I'm there pretty constant. And then the next three fights, I had won. Uh, you know, shocker! Having some kind of training actually helps. Uh, so I, I, that was great. Uh, and this last fight I had with uh, Joshua Kelly, I was feeling pretty confident going in. I felt like I was winning the fight, uh, and I just got a little too overzealous, a little too uh, impatient, and got caught. And ever since that loss, probably the best thing that could have happened to me, really, because I was feeling confident and not really showing up to practice all that much. That really humbled me. Uh, and ever since that fight, I've been at KMA training religiously multiple hours a day. So uh, I'm not going to make the same mistakes. This fight coming up two weeks from now, I'm beyond prepared for it, for whatever, you know, Brakefield throws at me. I'm ready to go the distance. I'm ready to, you know, do what I have to do. I'm definitely, uh, definitely prepared for this one. Jeff Hobbs on, uh, we got Jeff Hobbs on the line. Of course, he uh, has, has been here for all of your fights, came up with your nickname even. Jeff Hobbs, what you got for uh, the Enigma? And maybe fill us in on where you, where you, where, where you got the uh, inspiration for that one. Well, I mean, the inspiration when it when it popped in my head is, you know, when Elijah first came to us and uh, and I only feel comfortable saying these things now because I know uh, Elijah's story and I know, um, you know, where his his story has taken him was everything just seemed kind of uh, forced in the beginning. It was and, and to his own admission, um, you know, just really had no business being in there, you know, because he wasn't training. But I felt like he was forcing a shtick, you know, like a, a character went that first night out. And so, you know, I just felt like I don't know Elijah Gilbertson. I don't know who the real Elijah Gilbertson is because as the fights, you know, were happening, his second fight, his third fight, you notice he started losing kind of the character, you know, from that first fight, you know, I can't remember. I just remember your outfit was ridiculously crazy on the first one. Uh, your fight nickname. I can't even remember what it was that night, but you just slowly started losing that. And so to me, it was just like, I don't know who Elijah Gilbertson is yet. He's an enigma to me. 
Uh, and that's just where it kind of, you know, that's that's where the nickname came from uh, was that. And that's kind of how I, you know, have felt about Elijah's career was, you know, and, and really hearing his story now kind of justifies it. Like, I think, Elijah, you know, you would agree uh, those first few fights, you probably shouldn't have been in there, you know, no, but you, absolutely. Wanted, yeah. you wanted to you wanted to be. But that's what makes a beautiful story, man. That's what that's what catches us as fans, as part of valor is things like that is, is watching. I've never seen a transition made before, like the one you did, um, where you almost, and I'm not trying to speak for you, but it was almost like something clicked in your head. And it's like, I, I'm making a joke of myself that first couple of fights. And I'm tired of being, you know, that guy, that's not me. I don't need the fur coat. I don't need the Elvis glasses. Um, I don't need to force that on people uh, to get attention. And it was like you just decided the light switch went off and you said, I, I'm not going to be that guy anymore. I'm going to get in a damn gym and I'm going to learn how to do this. I don't need a stick. I don't need a character. And it was a beautiful thing to watch you for the first time come out with a team, with a corner, with solid instruction and solid training behind you going into the fight and watching a complete 180 and a different fighter, you know, step in that cage. And when you just, you know, suffered your last loss, to me personally, that's really your first loss because those other times that you lost when you started your career, like we said, you probably shouldn't have been in there. Um, this was the first time you got beat because as a fighter, you made a mistake. You know, you the other fights, it wasn't a mistake. The mistake was probably getting in there untrained. But this was the first time as a as, to me as a, a truly trained fighter. You just made a strategy mistake. You made a, a mental lapse, which I think, you know, Justin's fought. Greg's fought, you know, Greg fights, um, you know, I, and I know they know what I'm talking about. It's just where you're like, oh, that was actually my bad. You know, I made a mistake and I can fix that. And so to me, I look at your last losses as, as really your first one, because that was the first one as a as a true trained fighter uh, that you lost a fight because you made a technical error uh, in your game plan. Do you do you feel that that's kind of a correct synopsis or, or uh, you know, a view of kind of how you've started Absolutely, yeah, for sure. I, I tell people, I'm like, what's your record? I'm like, ah, well, since I took it seriously, three and one. <laughs> I'd like to stick with that. It sounds a lot better than three and four, in my opinion. Uh, definitely, yeah, those first three fights were those zero, almost zero percent chance I was going to win those fights. I mean, I'm going up against trained fighters who have, you know, been doing it for quite some time, and I, I like I said, zero training whatsoever. Uh, so I definitely, definitely agree. This last loss is definitely my first as a fighter. Um, it definitely stung the most because the first two I lost is I'm like, I didn't really care. So I'm like, I'm not training. I'm not taking it seriously. It is what it is. This fight, though, I trained for it. It stung the most for sure. Definitely pushing me even, even more than before. So uh, you'll see a, a complete different fighter this next fight than you saw in the last three for sure. So let's move on to this next one here. Uh, you know, this is uh, a fight with Bradley Brakefield. You guys have maybe the exact same record. If not, you're very similar in record. He's a guy that has done most of his fights with us. He's fought some teammates of yours. Have you gotten any uh, insight from the guys that have been in there with him? You know, Jackson Donovan's fought him. He's also fought uh, Nick Wigley. He's fought uh, Anthony Cochran. He's fought several of your teammates there to mix success. He's won some. He's lost some. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we've been definitely working. I've been working a lot with Jackson Donovan here lately. Uh, I mean, he's fought him before, so he knows more than, obviously, I do. Uh, 
I haven't really got a whole lot. You know, I'm sticking with my game plan. I believe uh, I'm training harder, and uh, I believe I have a pretty solid team behind me. So going in there, I'm feeling pretty confident with what my game plan is. Regardless of what he throws at me, I'm ready for really any of it. If he wants to take it to the ground or stand it up, either way, I will, uh, I will be there. Uh, I'm ready to roll. I'll let Greg uh, Hopkins wrap us up. He's been, uh, I think he's been on the mic calling all of your fights. So he's actually watched your uh, career uh, unfold as well. I know he's a fan of you. And uh, he, he and I have talked on the phone about, uh, you know, how this is going to be a good one. Him and Bradley Brake, uh, Elijah Bradley Brakefield be a solid fight. Greg, what's your take on this one? Anything you got for Elijah here? Uh, not so much. I wasn't really ready to talk to Elijah after Jeff just spilled all that. Uh, I will say that, Jeff was a right. He was right, in my opinion, on a lot of things. You did have a <clears throat> what? What you know, Justin and I, or Fort Torres, as a we like to call them brain farts. Of course, you know, you had one in your last fight, and you kind of just slipped up. Uh, I hope we've made those adjustments in this next fight because this is, in my opinion, is a is another step up with Bradley Breakfield. His record doesn't you know entail how good he is and how big his heart is measured, and this you know because it's, it's something you can't measure. Uh, with that being said, what weight class is this at, Elijah? This is at one forty five. 125. See, now here's the deal. 45. When you started fighting, 145? Yeah, yeah 145. Okay, I was about to say. So how? what have you been fighting? Like, you know, all of your fights, what have you fought? Uh, first couple were 155, I believe. Uh, or two of them were 55. Uh, one of them was 45. I believe after this fight, I'm going to cut down to 35, really, and uh, take on that division. Real good, real good home for you at 35 right there. I, I, and that's why I, why I asked you this question. I wanted to ask you, what have you been doing different in training to get this down to 45 and eventually make that move to 35? I don't want to, you know, get ahead of ourselves, you know, and talk about that. But uh, I'm intrigued. Like, what is Eric Turner and, and the whole squad with Taylor and Jason King up there? All those guys, you got a phenomenal group up there to work with. They're all the big, you know, camaraderie of a group of people that just, you know, they all love you. And, and I know you found, you know, a home there. So tell me what they've uh, done different with you to, 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 to make this progress. Well, for starters, uh, just my attendance. Uh, I used to, I was heavier because I lifted weights like four or five days a week, and I'd go to KMA like once or twice. Uh, and then after my last loss, I, I'd been there every single day for multiple hours. And that alone, uh, I'm burning a lot of weight. <laughs> I'm not lifting the weights near as much, but uh, I'm still doing some strength and conditioning. But they're definitely, uh, they're putting me through the work. <laughs> Um, I'm just naturally cutting weight with all the uh, cardio and stuff I've been doing there. Exactly. And Jason King is actually cardio. helping me with my diet. Jason King's been helping me uh, with the dietitian, so I'm not, you know, eating too much trash, cleaning up my diet. I've cut a lot of weight, so I'm not walking around, you know, just bloated up on creatine and protein and, you know, carbs. I'm actually cutting down and eating clean and putting in the hours uh, significantly. And, yeah, it's, it's a great group of guys down there, guys and girls, we're Big family, and I love it. I feel right at home. Well, I'm yeah, excited, man. Hey, well, one more thing, real, real quick, Kim. I just throw one more yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Elijah, I don't know. I don't know what everybody thinks. Everybody personally thinks about, you know, the the uh, the, the hippie glasses and the and the and the leopard skin coat that you had. All of it. But fuck what Jeff said. I love it. Keep it coming. I want to see more <laughs> of it. I like it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well. Like uh, before we let you go, Elijah, uh, I want to let you, uh, uh, you know, give some shout outs where, where they're due. I'm really excited to, to see this one go down here next week. You're at the highest position on the card uh, that you've been, uh, which is always nice. And then, uh, you know, it's going to be a packed house. You got teammate Lee Radford going to battle, which is going to uh, bring out a lot of energy. So I'm, I'm excited for uh 
for uh, the crowd uh, for, for this one coming up as well. And I also really like this move to 135. I think your height and your reach is going to give you some very, very nice advantages in the Bantamweight division. Uh, but before I let you go, I'm going to let you, uh, you know, give some love where it's due, some shout outs, any uh, friends, family, sponsors, training partners you want to uh, give some love to. I'll let you have it. And then uh, wrap us up by letting uh, our listeners know where they can follow you on your social media. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I'd like to thank you, know, my, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, and my wife. My wife is amazing. She's really uh, stuck stuck by my side this entire time, um, watching me get my, my boat up. So she, she's awesome. Thank you so much, sweetie, for uh, supporting me. Uh, of course, my parents, thank you for raising me to be, you know, not a quitter. And uh, my sponsors, I've got Alibaba, Sports Bar and Grill out of here, and, you know, Kingston Pike. Uh, Phil Billy, Barbers, down here on Western Avenue, you get a haircut. Listen, if I win my next fight, bring in the ticket, and you get a free haircut that following day, a business day. So uh, if you want a haircut, you know, root for me to win my fight. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't really have, I guess, my Instagram, uh, Elijah Lee Gilbertson, all one word. Uh, you can follow me there. Uh, yeah, thank you all to all my fans and whatnot. I'm, I'm stoked to see, you know, I'm just getting started. This MMA career is going to blow up real soon. Uh, there's plenty, plenty more to see for me, and uh, I can only go up from here. One more time, this has been the Enigma, Elijah Gilberson, getting ready to go back into the breach at Valor 81, taking on Bradley Brakefield. That's going down May 7th. That's next Friday night from the World Famous Cotton Eye Joe. You can get your tickets at fightertickswithanx.com. Make sure you select Elijah from the drop-down menu so he gets some credit. Uh, if you can't be there live and in person, then you can catch the pay-per-view live at vfcmma.com. Thanks so much for the time, Elijah. Looking forward to seeing you next week. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much to Elijah Gilbertson and best of luck to him next week at Valor 81. That brings us into round number four. And uh, Jeff Hobbs, get us kicked off with round number four. Yeah, round four, man, is my uh, hot topic, my uh, hot take of the week. And, uh, you know, what I wanted to talk about was the uh, publicity that uh, John Jones's split from front row management uh, got this week. Um, You know, personally, you know, being someone at, at a very small level who, you know, spent a lot of time dabbling in, you know, managing fighters. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I almost looked at this uh, as it went around the wires as why is this news? You know, um, you know, we, we talked about it as a group off the air and, you know, everybody in, in our group has a, a, a different view on it. And yeah, I don't know, man, I just I just to me, the absurdity of, of, of that it is news Um you know, I think the MMA manager um, gets talked about and gets recognized and, and, and more hype than than what it should. Um, but I think a lot of that is due to uh, those managers that are out there that want the spotlight and, and force themselves into the spotlight. There's so many out there that you never hear from and you, you know, because they're there to just do a job to service their their clients and don't crave the spotlight, don't crave attention, aren't doing interviews. And, you know, to me, you know, Ali being a kind of a case point to me, you know, they, it's like they're trying to be celebrities. They're, they're not fighters uh, and they're trying to find their spotlight, their 15 minutes of fame. Uh, so, you know, to me, I, I, it was almost like I couldn't even believe it was news. And, and two, my personal opinion is, is, you know, and I know some of you guys have different uh, opinions, but of all people, John Jones, he's reached that point in his career. What does he need a manager for? 
You know, he's reached the pinnacle of everything that he's, you know, that he can in this sport. He can name his own price. And, and, and honestly, he's reached that point. If, if he can't name his price and he can't negotiate to get the deal, uh, he's almost like a FU type person. Like, well, I, then I don't need it. You know, I've got enough money. I make enough money. Um, so you're either going to deal with me and give me what I want or what I think my value is and, and be gone with it. Um, so I, I just want to hear what you guys think, you know, and my question that I pose to the rest of the panel on their 60 seconds is, is this even newsworthy? And then, you know, at that level, not, not, you know, starting out trying to get recognized and get a deal, but at that level, how, how much is an MMA manager needed? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to, uh, to Greg first. He's a, he's an active fighter right now as a professional. All right. Um, so currently at the moment, I don't have a manager, but I'm looking to get one after this fight, uh, win or lose, you know, draw anything. I'm looking to get a manager with that being said, I don't necessarily want my managers, you know, my manager getting all the FaceTime in the world over me, you know, pressing fights because his job is to be behind the scenes, you know, helping me get sponsors, helping me do this, helping me do that. But if you have, and like, if you're the manager type of guy that's just trying to be on the scene all the time, then you're not doing it for the right reasons, in my opinion. I mean, this isn't like a Jerry Maguire kind of deal. I don't know, man, but I, I agree with everything that Jeff's saying. And uh, one thing I would say, maybe just to throw in there, is that uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I want to. I, I don't. You know. Who doesn't? Who like what all managers do we know? Like that that who all gets this airtime that you know like you know that that they're getting right now because you know like uh you know Floyd Mayweather he manages himself you know and he just he just booked himself a fight with you know with Jake Paul you know in June this is ridiculous uh, big money maker I don't know but you know they didn't need managers to do it you mentioned John Jones doesn't need a manager he could be the fu guy you know so I'm just. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think the place for managers is up front and on the front lines. And, and then, you know, whenever a fighter loses, you don't say, you don't see, um, you know, let me just use you, Jeff Hobbs. Jeff Hobbs fighter, you know, managed by, you know, or Greg Hopkins managed by Jeff, uh, Jeff Hobbs, you know, just lost Saturday. You don't see that. So why do you see them in the media? That's all, that's all how I feel about it, you know? Sure. And, you know, and let me, let me preface this. My two different views or takes on this has nothing to do with front row management because I think they're one of the, uh, you know, the groups and organizations that that do it the right way. They're not out there, you know. They they answer interviews when they're asked questions, uh, but they're not out there uh, like the Ali's of the world, you know, uh, creating drama, getting in beefs with fighters and, and things like that. Um, but Justin, I know Justin, you know, had a had a different take off the off the record. Uh, when we all spoke, um, you know, it's kind of a, an opposite view of us. So, Justin, let's hear your thoughts. Yeah, so I guess, you know, one of the reasons, first, I, I don't get, you know, I, I can't stand Ali, just don't like his personality and stuff. But, you know, Malky and, and Abe are pretty present in the media and stuff as well. But that's kind of their job is to promote their fighter, be out there talking about their fight. That's what they're doing is to push you. So you're not having to actually do the legwork of promoting yourself. It's kind of what you're paying them for. Um, and then with John, it's like, you know, obviously he can't get the deal done himself. He's, he's, he's not, can't just name his price because right now they're skipping over him, uh, and going with, with, uh, Derek Lewis in that fight. And that's probably why he's leaving, um, Abe and Malky. Uh, I'm assuming that they, you know, he was saying that, um, somebody was maybe speaking for him, um, talking about how much money he wanted for that fight. I don't know if that had something to do with it, but. Um, 
you know, I don't think he's the best businessman in the world. So, you know, he doesn't have the best relationship with the UFC right now. They're probably, you know, from what I've heard, the way that they talk to these managers and to these guys is pretty rough, you know, and uh, you don't really want to hear what they have to say about you. Um, so that's kind of what the managers are there for. And um, I don't know, it kind of, it, it made news to me uh, because, you know, obviously, like I said, he he's not getting this job done right now. Um, and they are one of the biggest management firms out there. But is he know. not getting the job done or is it that he's not, he's not lowering his standards? You know, maybe he doesn't to him, if this is X amount of dollars that I want for this fight, there's no job to be done. You're either going to meet it or you're not. And I'm not negotiating with you. So, you know, in a sense, I, you know, of course, none of us are behind the doors and in, in these conversations, but in a sense, I'm looking at it like, well, maybe maybe it's not that he's not getting the job done. He's just putting his foot down and saying, this is my worth. This is my value. There's nothing to negotiate. You know, I don't need a manager coming going, OK, well, they've come at you for with this amount. What if we do this? And if you take into consideration this, maybe that's not needed because maybe in his mind, he's just going, no, this is my number for my services. And, and there's nothing to negotiate. You know, yeah. just just another way to look at it. I guarantee uh, that he goes with with um, Ali or like an audiotar, somebody who is massive. Because again, I just don't think that John he can't just go say I want this number. They're just going to keep skipping him over. He's not going to be able to fight. Ultimately, that's not what he wants to do. He wants to get a deal done. And um, I don't know if Malky was was throwing out numbers that weren't realistic, and that's why John got skipped over. So maybe that's why John is parting ways with him. Um, but my, the biggest thing for me is it's that. These guys have so much to focus on, you know, that especially for John, who he's not, I, just, I don't know. I just don't think he's a, he's a super smart businessman. He's, he's been underpaid for years and years and years and never done anything about it. So, um, you know, I think that it's a big deal because I think it's, it speaks to the trend of the sport and, you know, we'll see what happens with this. You know, if he gets Ali and Ali all of a sudden gets the deal done and he's fighting in November, then obviously managers make a big deal. Uh, could be. Uh, Torres, your turn. Um, my thoughts on this in, entirely is uh, you asked the question, why does why does like, why like is this news? And the reason why uh, I say that it slightly is news is because John Jones has been with first-round management for over 11 years. And with, them being, with him being with that company for 11 years, with that management for 11 years, you ask yourself the question, okay, what is the problem behind the scenes? Well, also, who's also with first-round management is Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis is also with first-round management, and he just, as they already said, the fight should be, he said this uh, yesterday or today, I believe, the fight with Naganu should be happening in August or uh, August or September. So you could have a little disagreement with that, you know, how Lewis got the deal and John didn't. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think Ali just did an interview uh, a few weeks ago saying he doesn't think John Jones has been managed correctly the past three years. And with that being the case, I mean, he said, I'm not going to speak on who or what does to one client or another, but I will be flattered to have John Jones. And I, and I agree. I think John Jones does go to Ali. And I think Ali is going to be a really good manager for John Jones in the long run. And I agree with Justin. I don't think John Jones handles um, – deals correctly i don't think he he like you like you say if the number's not met well i don't care i'm not i'm not going to do a middleman thing and that's understandable in some cases because of you know the heights he brought to ufc what he has done for the ufc he should get paid 
he should get a, a, a probably one of the biggest paydays in the history and one of the biggest fights in the history of UFC. But you got to have a manager that is smart behind the scenes that can get you that. Like Ali said, all of this arguing back and forth for Dana White and all this stuff shouldn't be done over Twitter. It's a business deal. It should be done, you know, them screaming out 30 million and all that mess. That should be done online. That should be done behind doors. And I think with a right manager, not saying that first round management didn't do that for him. I'm just saying in all actuality, what Ali can do for John Jones in this situation, because what he has done for Habib, Kamar Usman, you know, all those boys, I think he can get the job done to get the fight with Nagano probably at the uh, expense that he wanted to be. Well, before I throw it to Tim, that's funny Ali saying that something needs to be done behind closed doors and not in the public eye. But anyway, uh, Tim, you're a guy that you're a guy that deals with managers in, in some cases. What's your thoughts on this? Man, I, I, I'm torn. I see everybody's angle here. I think that once you get to a certain point with the UFC, so long as you haven't just completely rocked the boat to where you just have ill relations with them or you talking to them is actually detrimental to uh, your progress. I think you've gotten to the point where you don't necessarily need them so much. However, at the same time, when you're first getting started and you're, um, uh, and you're, and you're really just kind of starting your MMA career, I would also say you don't really need them so much. I think getting to that, getting you, getting yourself to that first four and oh, five and oh, uh, five and one, whatever, six and one, a decent record to start. You don't need a manager to take a cut of your pay to arrange those fights to begin. You can handle that yourself with the advice of your coach uh, and to make sure that you're taking the proper fights. You don't need a manager to to negotiate things for you because the managers that I deal with are typically very desperate to get their their clients in action. And they aren't there's no bargaining at all. For the most part, they're going to take what I offer just the same as the fighter is going to take what I offer uh, or not. And uh, or they're just not going to take the fight. It's like they're either going to they're going to take the fight because they don't have any other options or they are or they do have other options. And what we're offering just isn't going to work. That's typically not the case. Uh, so early in your career, I don't think you need one either. I think the time that you kind of need management is right when you feel like you're ready to elevate from the regional scene, but need those ends with the big dogs to get you that chance because whether you like it or not, the UFC is still the good old boy system over there. You know, the best fighters are not necessarily still getting the, the opportunities on contender series or in the UFC. There's still plenty of good fighters out there that could hang that don't get the looks because they don't have the proper management to, to get them the looks. They don't have a manager that was childhood friends with a matchmaker, if you will. So uh, like it or not, that is still uh, a necessary evil when you're looking to break in uh, to the UFC. And I like Torres's uh, uh, take actually, you know, John Jones said, uh, John Jones said that, uh, you know, has someone been throwing numbers out there on my behalf? And then the management uh, firm, they uh, they put it out there that they actually had not been negotiating this fight, that John had been negotiating it on his own and that they'd been left out of it. But one thing they obviously weren't left out of was negotiating their other client, Derek Lewis, into that same spot. Uh, and it's going to be Derek Lewis, it sounds like, getting that spot next. So uh, first round management still hard at work for somebody over there if it's not for John Jones. All right, man. I appreciate you guys on my take. Next up, round five. Who's that, uh, Justin? Justin, yep. All right, so uh, it came out this week, you know, uh, several weeks back, Dustin Poirier tweeted out that Connor hadn't come through with um, his big donation that he had promised to the Good Fight Foundation after their fight. Um Caused a bunch of stuff. Connor was, you know, talking about pulling out of the fight. Um, they ended up 
getting the fight put together and everything. And this week it came out that Connor donated to the Boys and Girls Club of uh, it's basically a, a Boys and Girls Club that has like six locations around um, that whole region. Dustin Poirier uh, worked with them um, in the Khabib fight, raising money, I think, um, or maybe in the last Connor fight, one of the two. But um, so it, it is still going to help, you know, kids and and the community around there. But it's almost, you know, like uh, a fuck you, like you, you know, you you put my business out there, so I'm gonna go around you. Um, Dustin Poirier handled it perfectly. You know, it's like it doesn't matter. It's not that money's not coming to me. It's not like you know, it's a charity thing. And so ultimately we got what we wanted out of it, you know, and, um, he didn't really, he said he didn't really take back what he said on Twitter. Mostly he just, he didn't really want to put that out there, um, as the head of the foundation kind of bringing negative light towards the foundation, um, or, you know, having anything to do with that. And that's the only reason he really, um, you, you know, apologized for the tweet. Um, but ultimately, you know, the money went to where it was supposed to go, um, maybe Dustin's not building this gym that um, they had talked about originally, but uh, it still goes to the community. Um, so get you guys' take on that. Go ahead first, Hobbs. Yeah, um, you know, it, it could definitely be a, a small F you. And, and you're right, uh, Poirier handled the whole situation classy. But, you know, what made it classy is because, you know, at the end of the day, it's the truth. And he said, I, you know, almost kind of like, I don't know why this is news because, uh, Everybody still wins. The the kids still win. You know, uh, I think they said that just in January, uh, Poirier's foundation had donated one hundred and seven thousand dollars to this, uh, you know, this this boys and girls program. So, you know, this is a, a program that uh, he, you know, his foundation obviously donates a lot of money to. So, um, <clears throat> you know, he said uh, exactly what the way I feel was, you know, yeah, we can as MMA fans kind of poke and jab at why he went directly to them. But I mean, who knows? Maybe they flat out gave him uh, a better way that they're going to spend the money and the details he wanted. Who knows? Who cares? At the end of the day, like Dustin said, the kids win and that's all that matters. And if we're all doing this for the right reasons, then that's all that matters is that the kids come out the winners because um, this is going to go a long way. I think it I can't even remember the thousands of kids that this is going to put through an entire summer program and a summer camp uh, in, in that area. So, um, you know, if anything, it's, it's just a little uh, afterthought fuel for the fire for the trilogy fight on July 10th. And uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it should probably this should probably be the last we talk about it until it's time to do uh, vignettes and promos for the fight, maybe. But uh, the kids of Louisiana uh, came away winners in this one. Yeah, I think so too. Torres. Yeah, um, I, I like I like what uh, Hobbs said. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can you can call it being petty in the Connor way, um, but he still did donate. He just didn't donate to um, you know obviously Dustin Poirier's foundation. But like like you said, like Poirier said, hey, somebody is getting it in all regards, and it doesn't matter if it's my foundation or anybody else's uh, foundation, as long as someone is getting it. And, uh, as you know, that's still good by Connor what he did. <laughs> I I will say this, though. I mean, Connor did promise. Oh, and when they did, you know, their lead up to the fight, okay, Dustin, I'm going to send 500K to your organization, to your foundation. And I understand, yes, Dustin should have told Connor how that money was going to be used for his foundation. But, I mean, man, 
kind of you at least promise him that. Now, yes, could this be a storyline in the buildup? I truly believe so. This is going to be used big time. I mean, even on Twitter, Dustin Poirier said, I'm going to knock your head off um, on July 10th. And he said, I'm going to beat your tail. And uh, Connor, hey, Connor been trash talking him back and forth. Hey, Connor been trash talking Usman. So this is just a setup to, you know, uh, amplify the fight, make it bigger than what it already is. And uh, this is a big fight for Connor. This is also a big fight for Poirier. So Poirier gets this win. Hey, obviously he's the he's the obvious number one contender for whoever wins between Oliveira and Chandler. And you know, hey, whatever happens to Connor, I mean, I really don't know what happens for Connor after this. He uh, to me, he shouldn't get a title fight next after this. Look like he might will. I mean, what brings in the money? But we'll see. Yeah, I think ultimately this might even you know just play into their into the fight. Maybe you know, it's, ultimately it's just more press that they're getting out of it. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I think everybody's kind of kind of hit the nail on the head. You know, it, it is a little bit of a, a salty move by Connor that is, uh, you know, who would expect anything different? But at the end of the day, he is he is donating a, a large sum of money to a good cause. So, uh, you know, he is at least making good on that. I think that uh, it is a shame that it, that boy didn't get it as, as promised, but uh, he is at least shed some light, I guess, on his uh, his charity and, and people know know about it now. And it may have in, indirectly uh, still benefited from uh from the connor uh game if you will all right greg you can finish it off and then uh take your hot take for the week when you're done all righty um well as uh, my opinion going into this whole thing is uh, working in sales for a little while i know that when you make a deal with somebody uh, you usually get it in writing uh there wasn't no deal in writing, but yet you still made that deal, you know, all over internet, everybody in the whole wide world knew that you were going to do it. Uh, I think in my opinion, you know, we were mentioning Connor being petty about it. If you make a deal with a man and you guys shake hands on it, you, you, you do what you say you were going to do. Uh, the reason my opinion is kind of salty towards the way Connor handled that is because I don't have the, the best source to this knowledge, but somebody just mentioned to me today that Connor sold his, all of his shares of, uh, or so much of his shares in proper 12 and he's got $600 million off the deal. So to act as petty as this is to hold $500,000 against kids and use kids as a manipulation to promote a fight, in my opinion, is one of the shittiest things you can do. And I really hope that Poirier beats the shit out of him again. Like, that's what, that's how I feel about it. I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this as well. I'm willing to guarantee you if Connor would have beat Dustin Poirier this last outing, this the last fight, he'd have paid out. He'd paid real quick. He would have donated real quick, no questions asked. <laughs> but I will also say Connor is such a hound for publicity that it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities that he still gives Dustin Poirier's five hundred thousand dollars just to show that I've won up it now and I've donated a million dollars to just out of nowhere doing it, especially now that the six hundred million dollar sale of proper mm-hmm. twelve has happened and his bankroll just got a little fatter. Yeah. All right, Greg, uh, lead us into oh, round sorry. number six. And uh, after this, we'll have Nick Martino join us. So uh, round six, let's get it. Well, uh, we're going to go back to a one and uh, talk about, you know, Justin Brown's disqualification, how it got overturned to a no contest for Robbie uh, – I'm not starting at Robbie Lawler, uh, Eddie Alvarez, I apologize. So uh, with that being said, though, you know uh, – Shouts out to uh, Eddie Alvarez for, you know, getting that, you know, and, and, and I know we're going to get into this and, and it's not going to be all about this and that, but I've been in that situation before with this actual referee. Uh, shame on me for not uh, appealing it 
the moment it happened. I need to go back and do that now, now that I can see that it can possibly happen. But and in my in my not to my knowledge, everybody I've spoken to, uh, usually if you do something like this in the state of Tennessee, they don't really overturn it. But you know, there's here's the reason why I believe they should really you know go into more depth on these fights is because a loss like that to Eddie Alvarez, you know, cancels any progress he has in one right now to make towards a title, and his ultimate goal is to get you know every big promotion title possible that he can. And uh, you know, when one is the last one, he hasn't gotten yet. You know, he hasn't gotten it, so he's wanting to get it, and losing that fight you know, takes him out of the runs for that. And it, it sets him back an ultimate long, you know, you know, it could set him up a year, two years, uh, if ever at all, again, because a loss in a, on a professional level at, you know, a fighter, you know, in, in, in this MMA itself, like one loss, it's all you, you know, if you lose that fight, you've got to avenge that fight. You may never get that fight and that chance again with the other fighter. It's just, uh, but I think the right decision was made at the end of the day with the the D, DQ being changed with no contest, and um, I really hope to see more of those come in the future uh, for for the ones that that you know, truly deserve them. Uh, you want to go to you, Jeff Hobbs, on this one? Yeah, I think one big point that you know people aren't are looking at is there is such a vast and huge difference between uh, the way athletic commissions in the United States work, these one fights are over in other countries who aren't really structured with athletic type commissions. And and the way I feel and the way I've kind of read and seen is is more so like one has more of the say so in these foreign countries on whether those decisions are getting overturned. I mean, they don't have a California state athletic commission to go to or a, or a Nevada state athletic commission or a Tennessee state athletic committee. You know, it's, you know, a different animal in these foreign countries over how the, the fights are governed and, and sanctioned. So I think, um, I, I don't think that that same decision gets overturned in the United States, in my opinion. I think uh, Eddie was very lucky that this happened overseas and in this different realm and different situation than it would have been handled in any of our 50 state athletic commissions. So that's kind of, you know, my first take on it. And, you know, my second take on it is, is again, we've talked about it before because I've been through this and I've actually gone through the entire process with the state of Tennessee years ago with this. Um, And it's just a matter of, you know, being told like, hey, we've reviewed it. We've seen it. We've seen the tapes and we agree with you, but we don't want to open up this can of worms. We don't want to open the doors for hundreds of appeals and, you know, make more work for ourselves and have to see all these frivolous uh, appeals um, because we've given them a case in point of one that we've overturned. And, you know, my just dire argument, uh, you know, the entire year process that I went through this was. I understand what you're saying, but if it's the right thing to do, I don't care. You know, like, why would you care if I had to hear a hundred appeals and 99 of them were frivolous and I was able to immediately throw them out, but I was able to overturn one and do the right thing because it needed to be overturned. Then to me, it was, it's worth it. I just can't buy the not wanting to open that door or open up that can of worms because you might open up that can of worms and you might get flooded with a bunch of just bullshit, stupid appeals that you're able just to look at video footage, research and go, that's stupid, throwing it out. I mean, how long does that really take for you to say that's ridiculous or this is how the rules are interpreted correctly. So that is not a grounds for appeals. 
denied. You might have to deny 98 of them. But if there's two of them that truly deserved it and should have been overturned, then I think that's the right thing to do. And that's just part of the position you take as an athletic commission or an athletic commissioner is, you know, hey, this is what I signed up for. And if I have to, you know, go to these meetings every three months and hear all these and throw them all out, but maybe I catch one that truly deserved to be, you know, reversed. And, you know, that's just where my gripe was in in the process that I did. I it did me absolutely zero good to my heart to be told, um, hey, you are correct. And we're going to put it in the minutes of the meeting that the wrong, you know, if anybody ever looks up the minutes of this meeting, they'll see where well, we have acknowledged that, you know, a mistake was made or a wrong call was made. I was like, well, that's great, but that doesn't change my guy's record. You know, it, it, it doesn't, you know, and instead of, you know, leaving his career six and five, he's going out six and six now. And then to him, that was huge. Uh, he wanted to to quit this sport with a winning record, and it's never going to happen. That was his last fight. Uh, so, like I said, right is right. Um, but I, I, I'm happy Eddie Alvarez got it overturned, but I don't think that that overturn would have happened if that fight happened in the United States. What about uh, you, Justin, on this, being a judge and a former fighter, man? Tell us, uh, tell us what you think about this situation. Yeah, so what Jeff said was all true. You know, like um, some countries have an athletic commission uh, based on – I don't know. I think a lot of European countries do, but in Singapore, it's one is the athletic commission. They are their own sanctioning body. So, um, you know, the UFC is the same way when they go to other countries. Um, and, you know, it's crazy that it, it's not just Tennessee. It's like, like Jeff said, it's the whole country. I mean, you know, John Jones has a disqualification on his record that they've tried to get turned over a bunch of times and they just won't do it. Um, it's crazy, man. I, I agree with Jeff 100%. Like, it's – you're talking about guys' careers and, uh, you know, in a sport that – it's not basketball. It's not baseball. We're not playing 167 games a year, you know. Like, you, you only have so many times out there, and each one of them counts. And, if you know, it's just, it's, it's just crazy to me that, that people can get disqualified for things like this. Um, the fact that it ever happened to begin with is crazy. I think that it, it all just needs to be looked at and, um, you know, hopefully one doing this starts setting a precedent for, for people filing more complaints. I mean, I, I would, if it was me, I don't care how many times they told me, no, I would still do it. And I, you know, I don't know how long it's been, Jeff, how many years or whatever, but that's something that we want to see improve, you know, in over, you know, if it's been three or four years, that's something that at this point they should, they should start you know, improving, we shouldn't be stuck in the old ways, um, for that long. I think it's part of, uh, you know, a good, a sport, you know, if you're, if you're in the NFL and, you know, you catch a ball and you're right out of bounds, they just look at the replay and change the call. If that's what needs to happen. You know, it's just crazy that it, that it takes all this, uh, in, in MMA. Yeah. And let me preface, you know, my situation was in the early, you know, 2010s, uh, you know, not nec- not com- a completely whole different regime at, at the TAC uh, now than than what was there then. So, you know, big there's there's definitely a time difference of when I went through my experience. Mm. So, Feeney, let's see what you got to say on this. I'm about to say, you know, a lot of this stuff is still really new to me anyway um, in the MMA world. But I do agree with Justin. Um, there's a lot of things that happen within the UFC Bellator. And there's no replay system. I mean, you'll see it, but the referee have to make a decision on the spot. I'm like, you know, why can't, you know, as professionals, 
You see it in the NFL. You see it in the uh, you know uh, NBA. Why can't these guys go to the screen, see it, and be like, hey, okay, bang, bang, bang. This is a mistake. Okay, I can correct it. I can make a decision based off what I just seen, rather than make a decision on the spot, and boom, and it costs it costs a fighter in the, the entire fight. You know, you know that's what, that's what I believe that should actually happen. Use a replay system. I think this would make a lot of things simpler, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the replay system would work out well. Uh, I really do. I honestly believe that. I'm I'm tempted to damn use my overtime right now, but I'm gonna let it go to Tim. I, I don't hate that idea at all. I, I think that if you've got the technology, why not use it if you can make the correct call, um, you know, there that evening. I mean, they, they, they have overturned decisions based on positive marijuana tests afterward. You're right. You know, like there, there's people that have lost wins because they pop for marijuana. And so they're going to overturn it after the fact for things like that. Yet many of these commissions don't want to entertain the fact that it could have just been their own officials error that caused, uh, you know, the the incorrect outcome of, of a fight. These state commissions are very quick to take your event permit fees. They're very quick to take the licensing fees for the fighters and the licensing fees for the promoters, the licensing fees for the officials. Uh, yet, when it comes time to to, to do the, the the due diligence that they owe, uh, when they are in fact the the main oversight over the event, you can't do the event without them. You know, it's illegal to, to do the event without them, but they, they're just it's hard to get them to, uh, you know, to, to help you in, in the aftermath. And, you know, nobody's twisting these guys arms to be on the commission. Nobody's uh, twisting these guys arms to take whatever little stipend they get to sit on that commission. So, uh, you know, you, you go and you meet every every quarter hash out the you know hash out the issues that have been brought before you if, if the fighter that feels like he's been wrong goes through the due process and the and the proper channels to present a, a gripe i don't see why it would be an issue to uh you know to, to kind of oversee that and and make the right call but it's a lot tougher than it should be and uh that's not an easy fix because each state is kind of different some states are maybe a little better about it than others uh i know here in tennessee you know our commission is a, is about as hands-off as they could be uh with the exception of when it's time to collect those fees and uh that's going to wrap up round six okay do it greg all right. Of course, I've got to put my overtime list. I've got to put my extra two cents in this, and, and it, it is basically money because it's mine. And Justin Brown, Justin Brown did disqualify me, the same one who had you know Eddie Alvarez uh, over one. Uh, with that being said, um, I have to throw this question back out there just to add on. Um, should like let's just say something like this were to open a can of worms, then would you look into saying these referees need to be you know? you know, off their judgment calls, they need to be dealt with. And, uh, you know, what am I trying to say here? They, you know, I mean, if you make three bad calls and Justin will back me on this, if you make a bad call as a referee, you set a fighter back for years and that decreases their pay. That decreases, you know, their chances of, of making it anywhere, you know, really it does. So if you have a bad call on some situation, I just, I'm asking Justin right here, what he thinks about it. And I'm just a curveball. I'm just throwing out there real quick for my over- overtime. I just want to know, like, should judges, I mean, not judges, but uh, should you know referees be liable? They are liable in situations. If somebody were to get hurt and they didn't do a good job, you know, somebody really got hurt, then I, they should be liable. You know, Justin, I mean, I'm just talking with you right here. Yeah, so, like, I mean, I think that they that ultimately they would be held accountable because they would stop getting jobs. You know, like, if, if, you, if, if you come to Valor and, and you make bad calls, 
multiple times, you're probably not going to get asked to come back and ref again. So I think that ultimately you, you, you will get held accountable for it, but without anybody ever saying it's a bad call, then, then there's no accountability. I think that it has to be some, you know, the state has to go out and determine, um, you know, whether it was the right call or not. And then based on that, you're, you're not going to continue to get, get jobs if you continue to make bad calls. Right. Okay. Well, that's what I was just curious about. Like, should referees be, you know, reprimanded or something like that? Maybe, you know, uh, have to forfeit their chance to, you know, possibly make money for the next month or so, you know, because that's what, essentially what you're doing to that fighter too, because you're finding it hard for them to get fives when you put losing records, you know, you know, put them upside down or something like that backwards. Yeah. Uh, so the thing, you know, the thing is that they're also making that call. They're making a call on a split second decision or whatever you know they're, they're sure. just like when you make a mistake in there mistakes are going to happen so you can't just go out and yeah, say yeah, okay yeah. You, you fucked up so you're fired but we should be able to change that if you make a mistake we should be able to talk about it change it and then talk to you and say hey you know, let's go about this differently and then hopefully we don't run into that problem again. but i think that's where the onus goes on on the uh, like we were talking about the instant replay because even in my situation yeah. Uh, it was a referee missed it. Now, do I blame the referee for missing something? No, because damn near everybody in the arena missed it. Um, so I don't necessarily blame that referee for missing the call. But if you allow the instant replay and you allow, you know, like hold your horses before we announce this, you know, decision, let's take a look at instant replay uh, to where you have a chance. Look, NFL, you've watched blown calls every Sunday. These referees blow calls every damn Saturday and Sunday. The difference being, though, you can hit pause in those sports, go to instant replay, and you you can correct their natural human mistakes, you know, the naked eye watching something. And that's what we're missing. I don't – Justin Brown, you know – in the split second that somebody's fist of fury are, are banging down, maybe he's not seeing exactly where. So I can't necessarily blame him for not seeing that or in my situation, uh, you know, thinking that it was a punch that hit my fighter when it was actually a headbutt, you know, across the face hitting them. I can't necessarily blame them for missing that in a fraction of a second. But, you know, you would have seen me that night like a chicken with my head cut off because they're allowing the the, the announcer – you know, to get in the center of the cage. And I know just from my research, once that announcer makes his call, we're done. And I'm like, right. whoa, 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 stop that guy from making this announcement. You know, because at the exactly. time we were on Access TV and Tony Chavello and, and Pat Militich, I was standing right by them as they were watching the replay over and over again for the TV audience. And they're on air going, oh my God, the ref missed it. That was a headbutt. That was not a punch. Uh, but yet the announcer is getting sent in and he's fixing to, you know, so. Uh, I, I think that responsibility would go towards technology and, and moving into the future with the instant replay to fix those mistakes that any referee in any sport is naturally going to make. Well, uh, with replay, I mean, you, you, it's like you know we mentioned opening up a can of worm. When you when you open up replay, do you open up possible redos? Like no, that's, that's no, you, that's no. What would replay do yeah. good for the sport? Because you can have a replay, but there's no redo. The call is the call, but yet that can still change the outcome of the fight being disqualification and a loss. Right, that's where it, right, that's where it changes. I mean, maybe the foul is in such a way that you wouldn't want to send that fighter back in to, to redo, but at least it changes the difference between a loss and a no contest. And it'll help a lot of these other people trying to petition to get their fights appealed. 
if uh, if we would in, you know just produce you know put replay back in and just put replay in there you know just put it in there and it will stop yeah. any kind of appeals coming because we have replay. Yeah, I I, I see what you're saying. I agree with Hobbs. Yeah, Re- using replay more for the no contested disqualification aspect rather than bad stoppages or but don't oh, don't leave it up stuff. to the referees that. But don't leave it up to the referee's discretion on whether we should use replay or not because the referee's the one who made the call in the first place. I mean, whenever they do replay on the NFL, you got to call into, you know, New York or wherever you got to go, Florida, you know, that for that game, you got to call in. I mean, should we have to call yeah. in, you know, somebody who's watching the pay per view down the road, you know, and say, hey, man, from you guys' point of view, and they say, oh, yeah, that's definitely a miss, you know. So, I mean, something to think about. All right, guys, moving on to round number seven. We've got one half of your main event coming up for May the 15th. That's going to be down in Chattown, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, it's Valor 82, and he's going to be challenging our own Greg Hopkins for that 170 strap. We've got overblood Nick Martino in the house. What's going on, Nick? Not much. How you guys doing? We're doing good, man. We're excited uh, to talk to you. We appreciate you taking some time. I know you're uh, deep into your training, getting ready to uh, to go to battle here. Uh, so uh, let's dive into it, man. Of course, uh, you, you know uh, it's been a minute since uh, since you you fought in the Valor Cage. Uh, you're a guy that we are still everybody's very familiar around here, just because over the years you, you've had lots lots of wars in that cage. So uh, you know you've been bringing your amateurs around still. Uh, so you've been on the scene, and then uh, you know we started talking a little bit about. Uh, uh, going into uh, this uh, this uh, this title fight that we have with Jason King and uh, Greg Hopkins, you know, hey man, I'd like to have a crack at the winner of that. You know, you've got a history with Jason King. You got, uh, you know, you know the fight with Greg would be good. So either way, it shook out. You know, you were you're about calling out the winner. Talk a little about that. Uh, you know, you've been watching on the sidelines now for going on a, a year or so. Uh, what kind of gave gave you that itch to get back in there and uh, give one of these guys a go? I mean, like you said, I've been on the sidelines for about a year. My last fight was back in 2019, uh, went up to 185. And even that last fight, it was against a tough Brian Battle um, at 185. He's getting ready to – he's on this uh, this season of tough. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I had the itch back then. I've, I've opened up my own gym, and I've been, you know, focusing more on training my guys. But, man, still I get that itch occasionally. And uh, fought Brian and kind of wanted to do one, you know, after that fight. But, uh, you know, talked to some people and – Stuff was kind of coming around, but nothing really came to fruition. And then, of course, COVID and everything. But, uh, you know, over the past couple of months, I've just been really itching to get back in the cage. I, I don't fight at this point. Uh, you know, I'm not doing it for the money. I'm not doing it for I'm not trying to make it to, you know, the UFC or anything like that. I'm doing it just because I enjoy it. I enjoy just the challenge of getting in there. So um, got that itch and just wanted to throw down with somebody. So, uh, you know, you, you got in there, you, you made the challenge to Greg Hopkins, the champ, uh, at, uh, I guess it was show before last, uh, you guys, you guys both cut a nice promo. You're, you know, you guys are both guys that can talk. And so it's kind of one of those, uh, those fights. It's a little hard to, to push from a, uh, from an animosity standpoint, because you're both such uh, damn sweethearts. So we got to kind of push it from a, Hey man, this is, even though these guys are both uh, nice guys, they're both like to get in there and throw down and they're both violent and they both got a lot of skills. Talk a little bit about uh, this matchup with Greg Hopkins. You know, you, you were waiting on the winner of the first one. We had uh, controversy uh, where Greg was disqualified the first time. So then that kind of put you on the back burner again while we had to work through the rematch process. What have you kind of uh, observed from your end, uh, just kind of, uh, you know, watching these guys uh, kind of sort things out? Yeah, it's been interesting. Uh, you know, obviously, like you said, I had history with Jason. You know, we have fought, I think it was my second professional fight. I fought Jason and uh, really went into that fight. You know, I, was, I wasn't fighting to win. I was fighting not to lose. I was coming off a loss to JSP in my debut. 
and uh, he just w- wasn't mentally there for the first fight against Jason. And, you know, a lot of time's gone by. I'm, I feel like I'm a completely different fighter at this point. And, you know, I knew a little bit about Greg, obviously, you know, at the time he was three and oh, getting ready to challenge Jason for the belt. And, you know, I did my research on both guys, obviously, and you know, I had the history with Jason. And as far as Greg went, you know, really strong wrestler, uh, really good amateur career, power in his hands, got big overhands. So uh, either way, I knew it was going to be an interesting fight. And, and they built quite a little rivalry with the way that first bout happened, all the controversy in the first one, and then the rematch. Um, I think both guys kind of had a chip on their shoulders. So for me, I had nothing to lose, you know, calling those guys out. I thought either fight was going to be a fun experience. Um, whether I get a, a rematch with Jason or if I was able to throw down with Greg. And moving forward, you know, Greg, like I said, he's a tough guy. Um, he's durable. Uh, all the wrestlers are, man. You know, they've just got that grit, that grind, and I know that that's what, he, what he's going to be coming at me with in this fight. Um, you know, like I said, he's got power, those big overhand shots that I'm going to have to watch out for. Um, you know, I'm a little bit more the technical striker, a little bit more savvy as far as some of the, uh, you know, some of the technique goes. And then obviously my ground, my ground game is primarily based in jujitsu. Um, but I think it's a good matchup. I think both of us can take punishment. I've certainly taken punishment over the years and given some out. Um, I've been a fairly durable fighter, uh, for the most part. I know he's going to be durable. So I think it's a, I think it's a good matchup. And like you said, neither of us, I'm not a trash talker. I'm not the type of guy that's going to go in there and start you know, uh, cussing my opponent out or anything like that. I'm super respectful towards anyone who steps in the cage against me, but uh, I can promise you it's going to be a war. I know he's going to bring it, and I, I know I'm going to bring it. So, you know, you're going into Chattanooga. That's Greg's hometown. Uh, you know, it'll be a rowdy, a rowdy bunch there. But, you know, you're no stranger to, to fighting on the road and going into, into guys' hometowns and, and fighting the, the, you know, the local guy. Uh, you know, is that, a, is that a little bit less pressure on you not having to, uh, you know, be at home and, and have, uh, you know, the, the pressure of being like the local guy? Do you kind of, uh, you know, relish that uh, the opportunity to go into somebody else's house and, and play the bad guy? I think so. I mean, I'm just kind of used to it at this point, you know, like you said, I, I don't, I've, it's, I've been fighting for, you know, for Valor fights for a long time, even back into my Andy career. Um, I don't fight, I, I don't fight North Carolina very often. Even when I do fight in North Carolina, it's usually in Hickory or Charlotte. So, and I'm usually fighting a guy from Hickory or Charlotte. So even if I'm fighting close to home, I'm usually still, you know, I'm not the hometown boy. I'm fighting somebody right in their backyard. So, um, at this point, I'm just used to it. Like you said, there's not as much pressure on me. I can just kind of go out there and, and uh, you know, try to be the spoiler. Um, it, I, I'm even, you know, I remember I fought Shante Barnes. It was my first professional win, and I fought him in, in Elizabethton, Tennessee. And I thought, all right, Shante's from Asheville. I'm from Asheville. So it's going to be neutral territory. And I think he outsold the local boys. When he walked out, the crowd went crazy. So even when I fight dudes on neutral territory, I'm, for some reason, I'm still the underdog. So I'm used to it at this point. Uh, you know, if the crowd's not booing me, that means, you know, I'm probably, uh, you know, I'm probably doing something wrong. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I enjoy it. Uh, I just, I enjoy, you know, whatever the crowd's bringing, I enjoy, you know, whether it be trying to prove them wrong, um, you know, just whatever the case may be. I'm, I'm just down to throw down at this point, so. So, uh, Jeff Hobbs uh, on the line, of course, he's uh, been the announcer for several of your fights and, uh, of course, a lot, lots of Greg's fights as well. Uh, he knows you guys are both characters from uh, talking to you in the case. Jeff, what you got for uh, for Overblood tonight? Yeah, man. I mean, I you know, I know you're not a trash talker, but I, I will have to say I, it was one of the best promos uh, that you put together and it, it had me in stitches. Uh, it's kind of hard to keep my composure. So <laughs> I definitely uh, appreciated the, uh, the 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 WWE or or you know pro wrestling uh, 
tight promo that you cut. Um, <laughs> but I, I definitely saw the humor in it as in, you know, almost like I'm not a traditional trash talker. So I'm going to take the comedy version uh, instead of mm-hmm. trying to be up here, you know, frothing at the mouth uh, and cussing somebody. So, you know, I appreciated it. Um, and I, and I appreciate as well too, uh, how you're trying to hide your disdain for Greg, because I understand personally that he is a very <laughs> hard guy to like. Um, and so I, I definitely understand where your motivation is coming from to shut that big mouth up. Um, so, um, because I deal with it every week on this show, um, is it, trying to get him to stop talking. Um, but man, this is all, all jokes aside. I love Greg. Uh, and I've, I've enjoyed being around you. The, the small times I have, um, this is a valor fight through and through, you know, this isn't, um, you know, one guy against an up and comer, uh, one guy who couldn't find an opponent. These are two of the top guys in our promotion. Um, you know, really good records, really good followings, just staples within the Valor, you know, promotion. And this is a typical, you know, one of those just really good Valor main events that no matter who you're cheering for as fans and, and commentators and judges and and matchmakers that, you know, you're just at the end of the night, we're going to get to sit back, relax in our seats because the night's over and we're all going to get to, I feel, enjoy just a really good, you know, competitive, uh, hard-nosed, classic Valor main event, man. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, regardless of which one of you guys win, uh, I'm talking to both of you in the cage because it's always fun. And, you know, good good luck to you, and I can't wait, man. I hope the next two weeks uh, flies by. Much appreciated, man. Thank you so much. You know, we've got your opponent on the line as well. Greg Hopkins, one of our panelists, he's been listening in. I told Greg you were going to be on the on the show. And I was like, so maybe we get some good sound bites here. And he's like, well, man, I don't really have any shit to talk because he's such a nice guy. He's like, I don't really have any animosity with him. And, uh, so, Greg, I'll let you have at it, man. What you got to say to Martino? I know there's a lot of mutual respect between both you guys coming into this. Uh, very much so. Lots of mutual respect here. I've actually got to call, uh, at least I know one of his fights that I've got to watch. And uh, I know that uh, I had mentioned some things in the past endeavor we had and meeting we had in the, in the cage last time. And, uh, I mean, here's the thing about this fight with me. Looks can be deceiving. People are uh, seeing us matched up record against record. And this is what I'm saying. And I got a lot of, you know, of course, we, we both have a pretty big following. Both of us have a decent following. I think we have about the same size of following. So the magnitude of the crowd that's going to be there is going to be huge, in in my opinion. Uh, But uh, I I would have to say, you know, to sell this fight, you know, you have, you know, it's a yin-yang matchup. You have a guy that's, you know, uh, looks like a traditional striker in a jiu-jitsu-based fight, uh, whereas I'm a wrestler and, you know, just a brawler. So it's going to be, you know, the difference in the yin-yang and the best of both worlds, I think. But uh, the opposing style is what's going to sell this fight. And I got to ask uh, Nick, what would he say to somebody to sell this spot? I mean, I'm right there with you. I think as a fight fan, if I take myself out of the equation, just looking at the matchup, it's a good matchup. I mean, you're talking, you're talking like a Wonder Boy, Tyron Woodley type situation. You're going to have the technical striker in myself. You know, I've got some slick jujitsu. Um, you know, you've got power in those hands that I'm definitely have to look out for. You've got awesome wrestling and you just, you're that wet blanket on the ground and you can throw in submissions because you have so much pressure there. So it's just a great matchup all around. Um, you know, and when it comes down to it, I know, you know, I know myself and I've seen you fight enough and, and to know that both of us can take a tremendous amount of punishment. I think we're both extremely durable. Um, so I think that, you know, uh, the fans can expect just, we're, we're the two guys that go out there and just going to get put on a show. Um, you know, it doesn't matter 
you know, what happens. And we're both of us going to go out there and just give it 100% and just put on a show for the fans. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I mentioned, uh, you know, something last time in the cage about you being a 50-50 fighter because we talked about how much money I save people on the roofs, you know, and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> that was quick, too. That best. was quick. That was, that was quick on your feet. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. I was, but I'm trying so hard not to be ugly to, to Martino because he's a terrific guy. He really is. And, uh, and I know that all of his past fights, they're with tough guys. He doesn't take soft fights, you know. I've been building, I've been building myself to get to this situation where we're at right now. You know, he's got a lot more fights than me. He's, he does. He's got as, he's got as many losses as I do total fights right here, and then he's got just as many wins as I do. So he's got so much more learning experiences in my eyes. And I'm trying to be nice, but I just can't be because every single time I am. And uh, fuck Jeff, you love my fucking mouth. With that being said, uh, I can't be nice. I can't be nice, Martino. I got to ask you one more question. How bad do you think you're going to lose this fight? Oh. <laughs> Oh, man, you know, I've taken some beatings in my time. My last fight, I got walked away with a, a fractured orbital. You know, I, I, I'm at the point in my career where I'm fighting for fun. Uh, I'm very confident in myself. I'm very confident in my ability. I'm confident that you're certainly going to bring it. Um, in the past, I've walked into fights, and, you know, I'm trying to be slick. I'm trying to be smooth. Uh, the fights where I do my best are the fights where mentally beforehand, I prepare myself for a fight. And that's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting a fight. It's going to be dirty. It's going to be gritty. It's not going to be pretty. Uh, it's going to be a fight. Um, you know, I, I got a lot of my plate. I own a gym. We're getting ready to relocate. You know, uh, I'm just straight. My, my mom's going through stage four kidney failure right now. And there's nothing that I can experience in the cage that's as bad as she's going through right now. So uh, I'm just going to go in there. I'm going to put everything on the line. And uh, if I win, fantastic. I'll raise that belt. And if I lose, then you know what? You can buy me a pizza afterwards. Hi, <laughs> God. Hey, hey, man, my condolences to your mother and everything ahead. Uh, I had one more thing I wanted to say to you. Uh, you said you're building a gym. If you need a roof. You let me know. Yes, sir. <laughs> I have to be the first person. Be the first person I'll contact, Greg. Hey, <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry, but I am. You know, man, I, I can't wait for the fight. It really is, dude. I, I I can't emphasize how big this fight is. This is much bigger than the Jason King fight than was in Chattanooga. Uh, there's no COVID restrictions here. Everybody can come to it. If I'm a, if I'm doing a selling point, I'm telling everybody you're missing it out. If you're not coming to this fight in Chattanooga and you're in the tri-state within a 100-mile radius and you're not coming to this fight, you're fucking missing out. With that being said, if you ask me the same question to my rebuttal, if I think I'm going to lose this fight, I'll make it short and sweet. I'm not. I don't think I'm going to, and uh, I'm going to roll with that. Martino, uh, have a blessed day, man. I really appreciate your, all your professionalism, man. You're the, you're the man, man. You are. <laughs> Much appreciated, Greg. I love the uh, I love the sportsmanship here, and uh, and I know that this is going to deliver. Uh, as both these guys have said, they 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 both can take a beating, they both can dish out a beating. Uh, the opponent level that Martino has fought is is second to none. He's been in there with uh, some a murderer's row, and so uh, you don't you don't have to worry about him being phased by the moment. Uh, it's a big moment for both guys, and I'm really pumped for it. Uh, Nick, before we uh, let you go, I'm actually going to let you sit in on our last round here. But before we do that, uh, I'm going to let you get some shout outs where they're due. If people are just listening to your interview, uh, you any uh, friends, family, training partner, sponsors you want to give some love to, have at it, and then let people uh, know where they can uh, find your social media. Awesome. Uh, appreciate it, Tim. Yeah, as far as shout-outs go, everyone at my gym here in Western North Carolina, Combat Performance, I have such a solid support group. You know, like I said, we're, we're growing, we've been booming, and we're getting ready to relocate. And if I were trying to do this without the support group, 
while I'm training for a title fight, it, I, I'd freaking chew my own head off. It's ridiculous. But I've got such a great support group. Everyone's picking up the slack, helping me train, helping me prepare for the new facility. So everyone here at Combat Performance from the, the sparring partners that I've got, my coaches, Gabe, Emily, um, you know, Coach Josh, uh, Moose, Nate, everybody here, and down to all the kids that just support me and, you know, are excited to see me fight. Big shout-outs to them. My parents, my dad's been in my fight. I, this, I think this is going to be my – I believe it's going to be my 22nd career fight combined Amy and pro. And I think, uh, I think that's the number. And my dad's been in my corner for every single one of them. So of course, big shout out to him, my mom, my sister, my wife, my in-laws for putting up with me, uh, and just being there every step of the way, you know, they're not complaining when I want to get in the cage, they're super supportive of it. So, uh, everyone, of course, all the overblood fans, everyone that uh, comes out to watch me fight, wants to buy the pay-per-view, everyone that supports me, um, just nothing but love for those people. All right. And your social media. Uh, social media, you can find me at Overblood MMA on uh, Twitter. You can find me at Overblood MMA on Instagram as well. If you look up Nick Overblood Martino, got a Facebook page, an athlete page. Um, you know, trying to be a lot more. Actually, I've, I've started to get a lot more active with my pages recently, especially with the fight coming up. Um, you know, uh, running a gym and trying to be a fighter full time, but you know, simultaneously is difficult. But uh, trying to make sure I still provide content for everyone uh, who who wants to follow me in my career. Once again, one half of your main event coming up here in just a few weeks, May the 15th, that is. That's Saturday in Chattanooga. It's Valor82. You can get your tickets at fighterticks.com. Make sure you select Nick's from uh, Nick's name from the drop-down menu so he can get some credit. And uh, also, uh, if you can't make it live, you can be there and watch the pay-per-view uh, uh, from the, uh, the the comforts of your own home at vfcmma.com. Uh, Nick, we're going to keep you on here for, uh, for round eight, our final round of the night. And and uh, this one is going to be a look ahead at this weekend's UFC uh, uh, Prochaska uh, versus Reyes fight. We're going to go around the horn. I'll let you go last, Nick. Uh, a quick one-minute uh, uh, take on uh, what we can look forward to, what you're looking forward to this weekend at the UFC Reyes versus Prochaska fight night. We've uh, I'll, I'll lead us off here, then we'll go around the horn. Uh, overall takes uh, and things that uh, if you've got a tip uh, on, a, on a fight that you want to give out to uh, as far as betting wise goes or just anything you're looking forward to in general i'll let you guys have at it i'll go first this uh card has got some some uh, tennessee flavor to it on the undercard as uh, you got jsp on the undercard and you got uh, luke sanders also on the undercard so i'm definitely looking forward to uh, to seeing uh to seeing those fights i uh l- like him or not jsp is always involved in very very exciting fights and i think this fight uh that he's got lined up uh with uh, gabriel benitez will be uh nothing but all action same with luke sanders uh he's he's a guy that's in need of a win here and i think we're going to see him come out and really uh and really put on a show to open up the card as far as the main event goes uh this is a good one man i think uh, not as many common fans know yuri Prochka, uh but he is uh he is a stud and he's a very fan friendly fighter if he goes out here and gets past reyes he's going to catapult himself up into the top five and be looking at a title fight sooner than later uh reyes on the other hand he really needs this win uh as well you know who would have thought a loss here and reyes has lost three in a row uh so this this is a big one for him. A loss here it kind of takes him out of that uh, that title picture for for a good moment. So I, I'm I'm excited for this uh, main event. Excited to see a couple Tennessee boys go to war as well. I'll send it over to Torres. Yeah, um, looking at this uh, card um, overall, I am really excited to see uh, Dominic Reyes on his comeback fight. You know, after he fought Yon and you know it didn't go his way, and it would be good to see him on up and coming prospect uh, like uh, Yuri Prozaka. Um, not gonna lie. 
Yuri has that funny style. So it'll be really interesting to see how this matchup goes. Um, I was looking. There was also the, um, um, man, what was, oh, yeah, uh, Mirab uh, Dabashvili and Cody Stantman. Um, I've seen both of those guys fighting. I think that would be a, uh, a good matchup to see. I'm excited to see that matchup. But those are the two big fights I'm excited for. All right, uh, so send it over to Greg. I just got a, a few little, uh, you know, degenerate things going on. I like Sanders. I like Brown, Benitez. I like Cody, I like Stamman a little bit here. Uh, I like Cotabella again, Swanson. Those are all the fights that I'm going to be really intrigued on in the night and looking at prop bets, so I will be – placing wagers on all those guys right there. I just think you got, you know, and leading off from the last card you have, it's going to be really hard to play off of that. Um, I do. I think this stands up to that last card. Yeah, yeah, this is a decent card. This is a free card. So, you know, like you said, we get some Tennessee uh, taste on here. Uh, we, we had a bad taste in our mouth of Tennessee last time. We lost some money. Uh, but I'm riding with Sanders again this week, uh, opening it up. So that's what I look forward to this weekend. All right, Jeff. I'm going to start uh, by just saying Greg is a douche. Um, you know, Martino, you're now a panelist and not a guest anymore, so you're just going to be subject to hear this. That was douchey. You know, Greg, your opponent comes on here trying to be classy and, and take the professional guy, and you just could not stand it. You couldn't fucking stand it, so you had to make sure at the end to turn back to a douche, but we're going to move on. Um, there's really not a lot on this card, man, that, that interests me. Um, there's, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's going to be some good fights, but for me, this is all about the undercard, the prelims with our Tennessee guys here. I'm excited uh, to see Luke Sanders back in the cage. That's my, that's my man. Uh, but what makes this exciting is, is this is a featherweight fight. You know, this is where he was at, uh, you know, before moving to RFA. And, and, and making that, you know, that leap and that push, you know, to get in the UFC and move to Bantamweight where he won the RFA title. Um, but his his UFC debut against Maximo Blanco was a short notice fight at uh, at featherweight. And I think without that weight cut, um, you know, he performed so much better. And uh, so I'm excited about this. And so, you know, uh, that uh, tied in with Jonathan Pierce being on the card. Uh, you know, I think we'll make him a little money here with these guys. Uh, that's what I'm looking forward to the most. Uh, aside from that, you know, what stands out to me is I don't know if you guys can think of another fighter in the UFC that is fighting currently with a losing record. Let me know. But uh, Randa Marcos being on the card with uh, 10 wins and 11 losses, uh, you know, is in this day and age of, of the UFC roster and how many fighters are on here is, is you know, it's it's unheard of in my opinion and, and pretty cool because – um, it's probably the most deceiving 10 11 record, you know, upside down record, because uh, she is a stud when it comes to grappling and wrestling. So, uh, I'm just interested to see, uh, you know, a chick on here with a fighter on here with a upside down record in the UFC. Uh, but yeah, all my actions going to probably going to be on this undercard and that's where I'm going to, my focus is going to be. Justin. Yeah. There's a couple of girls that are, uh, that have upside down records are like right at 500. Um, just being a hater, I'm looking forward to Jonathan Pierce getting knocked the fuck out. Uh, Kai Kamaka is always really fun to watch. Uh, one, of the, one of the really good fights I'm looking forward to is uh, Ian Kulabra and Justin Jacoby. Justin's a you know former uh, world champion kickboxer. He's going to be in there to stand up, and that's what Kulabra is going to do. So um, I think you'll probably get a knockout there as well as the main event. I don't see that one going to a decision. Um, Yuri's, Yuri's pretty nasty, man. Uh, he's got a lot more experience than, than Dominic. It's not quite the 
at the level of, of Dominic Reyes' um, competition, but uh, Yuri's been in there a lot of times and uh, super crafty, so um, look for a knockout in that one. One of the uh, tough fight to call is uh, Marab Duvalashvili and, and Cody Stamen, man. That's going to be high pressure. Um, both these guys are big, big-time wrestlers. Uh, Cody Stamen likes to throw big overhands as well, but um, Marab's got the record for most takedowns in a fight, and uh, look for him to just be just pounding takedown after takedown, um, or at least trying to. If, if Cody Stamen can can defend him, um, maybe he'll stand a chance. But uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to to stave off the takedowns of Devolish Feely too long. All right, Nick, wrap us up here. This will be our last take of the night. We're out of here. Um, honestly, it's it's an interesting card. I, I'm not one to watch a lot of cards in my spare time. It's kind of bringing my home, my work home with me, especially owning the gym and everything. But this one in particular does intrigue me. I don't know if it's because JSP's on the card. Um, I always have to watch him fight. I don't know if it's because I'm salty. They got you know beaten by him in my pro debut. Um, but uh, he's always exciting to watch. Uh, you know, like you said, love it or hate him, uh, he's he's exciting to watch. Um, so uh, it's, I'm interested to see how he does in this one. Um, you know, he's the one of one in the UFC right now. So I'm, in, I'm interested to see what this fight looks like. Uh, as far as uh, the main event, Dominic Reyes, uh, that one intrigues me too. Uh, I'm big, uh, just watching the mental game. So, uh, you know, you look at guys like Anthony Pettis. I like, it's interesting when guys were on top and suddenly start to hit that, that block. And, uh, it, I, you know, as somebody who struggled with those mental blockages throughout his career, you know, I, I always root for the guys to come and break through that. Now, you know, like you said, uh, you know, two losses in a row. He really needs a rebound, um, especially against a really unorthodox opponent. I'm actually curious how he's going to do on this one. So I'll be, I'll definitely be watching it. Um, it'll be a fun one for sure. All right, that is going to wrap up our eight rounds today here on the Valor Hour. We appreciate everybody hanging in there and listening. Please be sure to uh, to to subscribe wherever it is you're listening to this fine podcast. Check out our social media as well. We'd appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much to our guests tonight. We had Elijah Gilbertson earlier, Nick Martino as well. My panelists, as always, Justin Watson, Jeff Hobbs, Greg Hopkins, Torres Finney. I'm your host, Tim Loy, signing off for another edition of the Valor Hour. We'll see you all next week. I'm Jerry P. Tuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist, so thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>